Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. If you would, uh, please turn with me if you have a Bible to Colossians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 15 through 23, Colossians 1. Verses 15 through 23, it'll also be on the screen behind me. And I want to thank you uh, for welcoming me today. I want to thank Justin and the session for letting me share the pulpit this morning. Uh, Before we read today's passage in Colossians, it's important that we understand a little bit of the context. Now, we always need to be aware of context, but I would say it's particularly important in a week like this where you've been studying Exodus, I come in for one week with another passage, and then you go right back into Exodus. It's important to know a little of the background of Colossians so the passage that we read even makes sense. So it's likely that one of the reasons Paul is writing this letter is that he's heard that there are false teachers at Colossae. And while it's not mentioned directly in the letter to the Colossians, it seems like the message that these false teachers are promoting is devaluing Christ. They're they're telling the people at Colossae that they have to do other things or practice elaborate rituals, really, that there is something else that they need other than Christ. Something else makes them acceptable to God. So Paul responds with this message to the Colossians about Christ's supremacy. And Paul begins his letter with a style that's very typical of his writing. He starts with a greeting and then a thanksgiving section and then a prayer. And at the end of this prayer, in the verses immediately preceding our text, Paul reminds us, and he reminds the Colossians that God has delivered them from darkness, from sin, through the work of Christ. And then Paul's going to give a really clear picture of that work right here in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. Would you please pray with me as we ask God's help as we read and study his word together? Heavenly Father, We come to you in the name of Jesus, and Father, we praise you for your grace. We praise you for your mercy. We praise you for your faithfulness. Father, we thank you for your word, and we acknowledge as we come to your word that we are sinful and we need your help. Father, send your spirit, enable your spirit to illuminate this text to us so that we could all see clearly the good news of the gospel right here and Paul's letter to the Colossians. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you are able, would you please stand as we read God's Word together? One of my favorite pastors that I listen to regularly now always says this before he reads God's Word. He says, these are the best words I have for you today. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is God's word. Would you please be seated? One of my favorite musicians is an artist named Ray LaMontagne. He's actually playing in Clearwater this Friday. Now, many of his songs are actually pretty sad, and it might seem odd to some of you that my favorite songs are his really sad songs. Feel free to find me afterwards and tell me what that says about me. But I love in his sad songs that you can really feel the raw emotion in songs about sadness, about pain, about longing. And with Lamontagne's music, you don't just hear the sadness. He has this amazing ability to make you feel it. And the sadness often has something to do with searching. He apparently had a pretty rough childhood, just filled with instability. And you can hear that searching for stability in all of his songs. No, he's not a Christian to my knowledge. He's even quoted as saying, going outside and just being in nature is like going to church for me. I mean, it's the closest thing to going to church that I know. Now, Christians, if you hear that, you should instinctively say both yes and no at the same time. You should say yes, because the heavens declare the glory of God. God reveals himself in his creation. Yes, general revelation. But at the same time, you should also say no. No, because that's not it. God reveals himself specially in his word. And one of the main places that we come in contact with the word is right here as the church is gathered. If going into nature is the closest you get to going to church, then that's sad. That's that's unwise. It's no way to live. Now, Ray LaMontagne has a song on his most recent album entitled Highway to the Sun. And I recognize that when you're interpreting someone else's music, I could be way off, but I'm just taking his his lyrics at face value here. Listen to what he says in this song. Lately, it's the evenings when I really feel the years, all my sorrows, all my joys, all my fears. I hear children singing songs, playing games. They don't know that growing up is learning pain. I just want to wake up underneath that open sky just want to feel something real before I die. It's a beautiful song. It's, it's reflective. It's played to this haunting melody. It's also incredibly realistic. He says, growing up is learning pain. That sounds like a common grace understanding of living in a fallen world. But what I want you to really hear is that last verse. I just want to wake up underneath that open sky. Just want to feel something real before I die. Does that resonate with you this morning? Do you long for the beauty of the outdoors? Do you just want to wake up underneath the open sky? Maybe you're like me and that's your nightmare. I'm 100% indoorsy. What I really want you to hear is the very end of that line. I just want to feel something real before I die. I think in a lot of ways that defines our cultural moment. 
I just want to feel something real. And that could be a lot of things. That could be love. That could be, I just want to find someone real. Maybe it's, I just want to find something real sexually. It's possible that that feeling is tied to your substance of choice. Maybe it's tied to your career. Maybe you want real success that matters, that people notice. Maybe it's tied to how well you've raised your kids. And that want, that desire for something real, it often becomes a need, the need. I need to experience something transcendent. Something that will make my followers on social media jealous. Something that makes me impressive. If you're a little bit older, you might be thinking about your legacy. I want something that people will remember me by. Maybe even something that's noteworthy in my obituary one day. Brothers and sisters, the Colossians, they were searching for something. In all likelihood, the false teachers are telling him what they need, and they're telling him that it's not just Jesus. So Paul's reminding them of the supremacy of Jesus. He's saying, Jesus is it. Nothing, no one is better. Jesus is supreme. That's his message this morning. Know that Jesus is better. That's what I want you to take away. If you hear nothing else, know that Jesus is better. You're searching for meaning, for significance, for something real. Paul says it's Jesus. And in order to communicate this message, know that Jesus is better, Paul is going to show us that Jesus is creator and Jesus is redeemer. Just two points this morning. Jesus is creator and Jesus is Redeemer. Know that Jesus is better. And first, Paul demonstrates that Jesus is Creator in verses 15 through 20. If you still have your Bible, look at verse 15. He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In the beginning, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, but that image was corrupted by the fall. It was corrupted by sin, by turning from God and turning from his word. Now, to be clear, the image is still there, but it's changed. So in Christ, God restores the image that was marred in the fall. Christ is the preeminent image, the foremost image of God. He's the image of God before creation. See, Jesus is eternal. He's the firstborn of all creation. This refers not to him being created, but to his priority, to his preeminence. As a congregation right now, you're studying Exodus, and we see this language of the firstborn used in the same way. In Exodus, God calls Israel his firstborn son. That's not a literal or physical description. It's about priority. It's about preeminence. Jesus is not created. He's infinite. He's eternal. And we see this clearly in verse 16. For by him or in him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Who is Jesus? Paul says he's creator. In him, all things were created, all things. Jesus is the sovereign creator of the entire world. He's in control of all things. 
He's not a deistic God. He doesn't create and then step away and let what, lets what happen happen. You know, another election cycle is coming soon. And if you listen to each party's message, it sounds like the fate of the world is on the line. It sounds like if you make the right choice, everything's going to be wonderful. But if you make the wrong choice, things are going to fall apart quickly. Now, I'm not pretending that politicians aren't important. I'm not saying that they don't have some form of power. They clearly do. But it's a derivative power. They don't get it from themselves or who they are. They don't even really get it from the people that vote for them. Paul says that Jesus is over thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, everyone and everything. Jesus is sovereign. He's in control. And brothers and sisters, that means that he is in control over the democracy of the United States. And that also means he's in control over the communist government of China. Nothing, no one is outside of his control. Look with me again at verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus existed before all things. He's in control of all things. The tense of the verb at the end of that verse that's translated all things hold together, it communicates that all things have held together and will continue to do so in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. One commentator puts it this way. He says, no creature is autonomous. Christ prevents the world from entering into utter chaos. We don't. Jesus is creator. Paul's shown us that he's supreme over the first creation. But Paul also shows us, beginning in verse 18, that Jesus is also supreme over the new creation. Look with me at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus Christ is the head of his church. Your pastor and your elders are not the head of City Church. The members are not the head of City Church. Christ is the head of the church. Pastors and elders are under shepherds. In the same way that if you trace the source for politicians, they don't derive their authority even from those who elect them. Your elders may be elected by you, but their ultimate authority comes from Christ. And how they are to care for and govern the church is simply by following the pattern that he lays out for us in Scripture. They're called to serve, not to be served. They're called to lay down their lives for you in all kinds of ways. Paul also says that Jesus is the beginning. The same language used in the first verse of Genesis. Jesus is the beginning. But here, Paul is referring to the new creation. Yes, he was the beginning. He was before creation, and the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But Paul's diving into new creation here. He's the firstborn of the dead. The pastor and theologian John Calvin says, in the resurrection, there is a restoration of all things, that in everything, in all things, Christ might be preeminent. 
that he might be supreme. The Colossians are searching for something. The false teachers are telling them that there's something else they need. They need something other than Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly what it was, but whatever the false teachers were selling, it was wrong. Paul says, Jesus is creator. He's supreme over the first creation. He's supreme over the new creation. Know that Jesus is better, better than all things. Look at what Paul says in verse 19. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You could spend a semester on that verse and not exhaust everything there. Christ is the perfect representation of God in bodily form. He's eternal. He's fully divine, co-equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit, while at the same time being fully man. That is mind-blowing. Jesus enters into redemptive history as the incarnate, fleshly image of God. And he'll remain the image of God into eternity. In John 14, 9, Jesus says, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And don't make a mistake with that language here. This is not like when someone tells you that your son or daughter is your spitting image. My daughters both look a lot like their mother, thankfully. But if someone looked at them and they said, if you've seen me, you've seen my mom, the person would be really confused. But Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I understand that that's incredibly difficult to understand. If you're skeptical of that, I get it. That's hard. But when Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, he's not saying Jesus is created. The Bible tells us that Christ shares the same nature as the Father. He's infinite. And y'all, we have to be willing to acknowledge that that's hard for us to wrap our minds around because everything we see is finite. Each of us in this theater this morning is finite. But God, the three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity is infinite. The Trinity is eternal. No beginning, no end. Look back with me at verse 19 and 20. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Before anything existed, Christ created all things, but man fell into sin. Now in the new creation, Christ restores all things. And you can't understand this verse without first coming face to face with your own sin. Because if you don't see your sin, then you don't see any need for reconciliation. You don't see any need for a savior. Now, if you're here this morning, and you're skeptical of Christianity, if you're not a Christian, at some point you do have to come up with an answer for all the horrible things you see in the world. And more than that, you have to come up with an answer for all the horrible things that you do. Because you can't just explain it away as the things I've done are not that bad. Yes, they are. You can't just say, you know what, I'm better than him or I'm better than her. No, you're not. On top of that, you have to answer the question, is this world really just pure chaos? Is everything meaningless? 
If you don't understand verse 20, then your answer has to be yes. But see, here's the problem. At the core of who you are, Christian or non-Christian today, you know that you have value. You know that you have meaning. You know that you and those you love are significant. And it's because you were made in the image of God. That image has been tainted. But Jesus has come to reconcile you to himself, not by engaging in some power play, not by some flowery in the clouds, let's just all get along, do whatever you want to message. Jesus reconciles sinners by his own blood. It's gritty. It's gruesome. It's real. The death that Jesus experienced was a form of torture at that time. If you're a Christian today, then you need to be reminded that right now you are reconciled to God. It's done. And that reconciliation is not based on what you've done or what you will do. It's based on what Jesus has done. And if you're not a Christian, then first of all, I know myself and everyone else that is involved here at City Church is glad that you are here and wants you to come back. And I have to ask you, if you find all this too difficult to believe, I can understand that. You may have a list of 20 different reasons why you can't believe that the things in the Bible are true. But what if you're wrong? Have you ever really considered that? And I recognize that's a very different message than you hear from a large part of the world today. Because in many ways, personal autonomy is the idol of both the left and the right. And telling someone they might not be right about something, that is the greatest sin of our time. To infringe on the individual's ability to decide their own truth is oppressive, it's hateful, it's evil. But I just ask you this morning to consider for just a minute that I might ask that question out of love. I had another pastor use this illustration to explain what I'm doing right now. If you pulled into a gas station, you got out of your car, and you saw something walking out of the inside of the gas station with a carton of milk, they begin to unscrew the cap and walk over to their car. They open the gas tank, and they're very clearly getting ready to pour that milk in that gas tank. What's the caring thing for you to do in that moment? How much does their personal autonomy really matter? Wouldn't it be loving to maybe encourage them not to pour the milk in the gas can and ruin their car? Or maybe even at the, just at the beginning to hold off on that and have a conversation about how cars work. Essentially, in this passage, Paul is telling the Colossians, he's telling each of us that we must know that Jesus is better. You might have been told something else. You might believe something else. But Paul contends, the Bible contends, and I stand today before you proclaiming the good news that Jesus truly is better. And that has implications for all of us. For the non-Christian, you should continue coming to City Church St. Pete. If you don't have one, get a Bible. You can pull it up on your phone. Ask one of the leaders here to walk with you through the Bible. If you are going to reject Jesus, you should at least know who you're rejecting. Not some caricature that you've heard. You actually need to come face to face with Jesus in the Bible. If nothing else, that is a reasonable thing to do. If you are a Christian, this passage should very clearly spur you on to evangelism. And I know a lot of people are intimidated by evangelism. That makes sense. 
But understand that evangelism doesn't look like getting a megaphone and standing on the corner of a street down here in downtown St. Pete yelling things about Jesus. Now, it could look like that. But evangelism really looks like building relationships with non-believers, inviting them into your home, asking questions. A guy named Randy Newman has a great book called Questioning Evangelism, where he models evangelism after Jesus. It's in the title. He encourages you to ask questions. That's often what Jesus did. He asked questions when he was confronted by unbelief. He asked questions when he was confronted with hostility. It tends to disarm people. Ask questions. Listen to people. Love people. And yes, share the gospel because people need to know that Jesus is better. Secondly, and more briefly, in verses 21 through 23, Paul shows us that Jesus is Redeemer. Paul's demonstrated that Jesus is supreme over the first creation. He's supreme over the new creation. And now he elaborates on what he already touched on in verse 20. Jesus is Redeemer. Look at verses 21 and 22 with me. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Paul says, Colossians, you were alienated, you were strangers, you were hostile. And hostile is a good translation there, but it could also be translated enemies. You were strangers, you were enemies. What were they doing? He says, evil deeds. And that word translated, that adjective translated evil there, it means literally to be morally or socially worthless, worthless deeds. When I was in college, I was involved in a campus ministry. And the campus minister had us read an article about the culture at a prestigious university in the U.S. It was written in the wake of a scandal. This was 2005, 2006. And it aimed to demonstrate that what happened with one group on this campus was part of the broader culture of the entire campus. Now, one of the more difficult things to read in that article was the way that those who were popular, those who were the culture makers, used the word terrible on campus they used it as a noun. They would refer to people as a terrible. He's a terrible. She's a terrible. And and what this article found was that that permeated the entire campus. They completely devalued people. And it led to a culture that wreaked havoc on the vulnerable. Now, you would at least like to think that you wouldn't speak of others that way, let alone yourself. But Paul does. God does. He speaks this way about you and about me. And he speaks this way about himself. In 1 Timothy, Paul says, I'm the worst. I'm the worst. Can you say that about yourself? I'm the worst. I tend to get offended when someone doesn't think I'm amazing all the time. But Paul says, before you come to faith in Jesus, you're an enemy. The things you do, they're evil, they're worthless. Before you come to faith in Jesus, and even after you come to faith in Jesus, one of the hardest things to do is to look at the things you do and to recognize, to acknowledge, to really believe that they don't make you acceptable. On their own, the things you do, they're evil, they're selfish, they're self-promoting. Paul's language is that they're worthless. They don't save you. You have to come to grips with that. 
I have to come to grips with that. Each of us is sinful, and that means all of the things we do are tainted by sin. None of us can win the favor of a holy God because he has to deal with sin. And we understand that in all kinds of ways. We just moved about six weeks ago, and we bought a house this summer. It was not a good time to buy a house in the greater Tampa area, especially when you're moving from a really low-cost place like Mississippi. We had serious sticker shock. So we had to take out a sizable loan. And if I go into the bank one day and I say, you know what, I just can't pay the loan off. Are they just going to forgive the loan and let me keep my house? I wish they would. But of course not. The debt has to be paid. Likewise, the debt that we owe to God due to sin, it must be paid. God has to deal with sin. How does he do that? Look back at verse 22. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. How does God deal with sin? Blood, death, blood and death. You see that throughout the Bible. You see it clearly in the Old Testament sacrificial system. But the writer of the letter of the Hebrews, he also tells us that the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. The Old Testament sacrifices were just shadows pointing to the real thing. They point to Jesus, the God-man. God the Father reconciles us through the work of God the Son that is applied to us by God the Spirit. We're reconciled by the work of Jesus. God's purpose in Jesus Christ is to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. All of those words are tied to being set apart. If you are in Christ... If you have faith in Christ, then you're set apart. You are counted as holy, as blameless, as above reproach. It's based on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your sin is washed away by his blood, and his perfect life actually counts for you. The Colossians, they're being tempted to look to other things for salvation. They're being encouraged by those who claim to be spiritual leaders that they need something other than Jesus to be saved. But Paul tells them they've already been reconciled by the blood of Christ, nothing else. And that leads him to end this section with real encouragement. Look at verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul encourages them to persevere. The gospel is that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the gospel they've heard. That's the gospel you've heard. They don't need anything else. You don't need anything else. They and you are to persevere They're to persevere in their faith. You're to be stable. That's the language of building things. It speaks of the firm foundation that we have in Jesus. And you're to be steadfast. We don't use that language much anymore, but being steadfast simply means being firm, being solidly in place, not experiencing radical change every time the world decides something different is true. Brothers and sisters, know that Jesus is better. I think that the experience that I started with that Ray LaMontagne writes about is pretty common. That overarching desire to feel something real. 
And you might have your own version of searching for that. And you can continue to bounce from thing to thing, from relationship to relationship, from job to job, from experience to experience, even from city to city, trying to find something real. And if that something that you're seeking is anything other than Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ that is found in the pages of the Bible, if you're seeking anything other than Him, then you are wasting your time. The end of that search is darkness. It's despair. It's an endless cycle. One of my professors put it this way. If Christ doesn't occupy the center of your existence and worldview, then something has gone wrong. Jesus is the center of your existence. He's the lens that you view everything else in this world through. He is real. He's the only path to salvation. Christian, know that Jesus is better. And non-Christian, know that Jesus is better. Repent, turn from your sin and believe in Christ and finally find rest from all of the ways that you're trying to save yourself. Find rest from all of your searching in Jesus. Would you please pray with me?